You are listening to the official Sasta podcast with your host, Harry Stebbings, who you can add on Snapchat at hstebbings with two Bs, and all ads get a personal thank you from me. Or you can find the main man at Sasta, Jason Lemkin, on Twitter at JasonLK. But to the show today, and I'm thrilled to welcome the incredible founder to the hot seat today, in the form of Dan Adika. Now, Dan is the founder and CEO at WalkMe, the cloud-based service designed to help professionals guide and engage prospects and customers and complete online tasks. They've raised over $90 million in VC funding from some of the greats of the industry, such as Rory O'Driscoll at Scale Venture Partners and the team at Insight Venture Partners. As for Dan, prior to WalkMe, he spent time at HP as a software engineer, and before that, spent five years in the Israeli Army's elite computing unit. I also want to say a special thank you to Rory O'Driscoll for the intro to Dan today, without which this episode would not have been possible. But before we dive into the show today, we all know that trust is a key component to the success of any business, and that's where Reviews.io comes in. Reviews.io is a Google-trusted third-party review platform, and is the only platform in the world which collects, monitors, and publishes reviews to Google, Bing, Facebook, Amazon, and more. Reviews.io is the only solution on the market which allows businesses to see a 360-degree view of their reputation across the web with their robust API that allows you to manage your reputation automatically while achieving the industry's highest review collection. Reviews.io is perfect for any business that's looking to increase conversions, build customer trust, and increase visibility on Google. Unlike competing platforms, Reviews.io do not agree with long-term contracts and even has a 15-day trial for all Sasta listeners. Simply head over to reviews.io now and sign up for your free trial. But enough from me, so without further ado, I'm delighted to hand over to Dan Adika, founder and CEO at WalkMe. Good, that's perfect. Okay, I think we're warmed up. Dan, it's absolutely fantastic to have you on the official Sasta podcast. Huge thanks to Jason Lemkin for the intro, but thank you so much for joining me today, Dan. Thank you, and nice to meet you as well. I'd love to get started though today by discussing a bit about you and how you made your way into SaaS and came to found WalkMe. Okay, so my background, uh, I'm from Israel, from Tel Aviv. My background is Army. I've been in the IDF, like most of the Israeli entrepreneurs. I've been in the IDF for like six years, focused on internet and web development. After that, I worked for a year at HP in Israel, what was Mercury, uh, before HP acquired them. And then after a year, I met uh, the two co-founders that uh, we founded uh, WalkMe together. It was back in 2011. It wasn't my idea. I joined them. But when they showed me their vision and what they are want to build, I was immediately, I'm in. I quit my job and I started to develop the software, the, the platform, WalkMe. And now we're here. Absolutely. What a brilliant and succinct start. But I do want to start with a seriously meta question because in conversations before between me and you, you said that you love the SaaS model and the power in doing so successfully. So I want to talk about this and what does it really mean then to do SaaS successfully to you? When we started, when you look at all the metrics and how the model works, from an outsider, someone that don't understand SaaS and don't understand the business model, it can be confusing. You look at amazing companies that some of them are public, all of them, if not most of them, are losing money. So sometimes it's hard to understand the unit economy, how a company even like Okta that just IPO'd a week ago mm-hmm. are valued at $2 billion when they're losing 80 to $100 million a year. It was the same with Box. It was the same with Wix. It was the same with Twilio and a lot of other companies. And when you dive into the model and to the metrics and you understand churn and cohort and expansion and retention and how all that works, 
you can understand how those models can be very, very profitable and how to calculate the growth and then to have the real multipliers of how much a customer really worth to the business. And then you can really understand the potential of the business. And I think it took at least me some time to understand and to really understand the walk me business model and why it's so makes sense and profitable when at the beginning it was what is all those numbers why that matter why the churn is matter etc 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 and i think that now when you master it and you know exactly how it works it makes perfectly sense so talk to me in terms of assessing a SaaS startup with all the plethora of metrics as you said there as a recent investor myself help me out here what can i do to determine the the potential and the growth of a SaaS startup what metrics would you hone in on first and foremost yeah so, so i think a lot of companies especially when they're coming to vcs they look at um blogs like Saster and they look at all the metrics and they try to copy paste it to their business model. I like to use an approach when I call it canceling the noise. You need to cancel the noise especially when you are a fast growing startup because the amount of investment you're doing in order to grow sometimes can ring those metrics. So if I would need to help you out, first I would tell you how old is the startup? In what stage the startup is? It's now just increasing sales or they're building the sales, etc. So first you need to know what stage is the startup. Once you know the stage, I would look at something like magic number and sales efficiency, how much time it takes to return a customer. I I wouldn't look at lifetime value for not mature startup because it's just not real. Mm-hmm. I would look at CAC and average sales price and I would make sure that the ASP and the CAC payback makes sense plus the cost of retention and the churn rate. That, that's very interesting and I've got so many questions from that because you said about customer payback there. What would you say is a good customer payback period? Is it nine months as kind of traditionally hailed or is it different for you? There is the month-to-month subscription and there is companies like WalkMe that are doing a one-year contract. So I think a ratio to one-to-one, meaning CAC to average sales price. I mean, you return the customer within a year. It's a guarantee return because it's one-year contract with low retention cost and good renewal rate. Then you have a very profitable model because you return all the acquisition of the customers. And then on the second year, if you have a good renewal rate, it's pure profit. What would you say is a good renewal rate? If I gave you your renewal, uh, what would you be happy with? Um, I think everything above 85% is good. Above 90% is excellent. Below 85, 80 to 85 is okay. Below 80 is not good. Uh, in terms of kind of sales productivity, we said there about uh, essentially cycles. In terms of sales productivity, what's the thoughts on the sales rep and the ratio in terms of kind of sales rep payback in terms of their compensation to the revenue they bring in? So the number that I like to use for a, a rep is one to six. What you pay for a rep, he needs to bring six times. So So if you pay a rep 100K a year OTE, they need to sell 600K in ARR. If you pay them 200, 1.2 million. That's just what you pay to the rep. On top of it, you have what you pay to the rep manager, your VP sales, you have SDRs, pre-sales. So if I'm looking at overall, the whole sales org, I would spend around 30 to 35 cents for each dollar in ARR they're bringing. I think... 
I think that's a really good number. Yeah, no. And it depends on the marketing expense too. Like if you have a very high cost marketing, then you need to be more efficient there. But if the marketing is okay, then you can be more loose on the sales. You mentioned also the, the year contracts, and it's often actually something that I don't see. Uh, I normally see monthly contracts. What's the take on this, the benefits of having yearly contracts? And then also, does it reduce the importance of time to value considering the lock-in period? So it really depends on the on the product itself and the type of implementation you have and how big is the deal, who you're working with, who is the customer. Because some customers walk me working with a lot of enterprise customers. It takes them two or three months just to get the project kicked off, not related to walk me even. So when you lock them in a year contract, you get more commitment for the project. When you do months to months, it makes sense. And, and we do have months to months plan. We have a startup edition. Then I would go if it's a, a very low touch sale. You go, you download the product, you start using it. Then it would make sense to go months to months. If you have an implementation period and you're working more with enterprise sales, then I would do one year lockdown. In terms of NPS, we're, we're on the theme of metrics here. NPS is always an interesting one. How much of a, a role does NPS play for you in terms of kind of your concentration to metrics? And then what do you consider a good NPS? Yeah, so regarding to NPS, we combine the NPS with something bigger that we call health score. For each customer, we have health score that NPS is around 20 to 25% from the total health score. The, the health score is between 0 to 100. When everything below 70 is defined as yellow, everything below 55 is defined as red, and then you have green, which is everything above 85. When we calculate the health score, it allows us to predict the renewal rate. So like we have sales pipeline and we have forecast, like how much will we will close for each quarter, we're doing the same with renewal. So when we look at the overall health score, it's allow us to easily predict what will be the churn or the renewal rate for that quarter. Regarding NPS, I can tell you for us, it's only 20-25% of the metrics. We have other metrics that are more important for us, like usage, ROI that the customer is getting, how much is using the product, how broad or how many features they're using, that will be probably 75% or 80% from our health score. Mm -hmm. And we spoke about sales teams there and sales team productivity. So I do want to stay on this and ask, how do you approach maximizing sales team productivity and what are the kind of tips and tricks to really get the most out of them? So I think first you need to understand what is a good quota for the sales rep. And again, I think the number of, of how much you spend for the department is very important. And why? Because if you talk with a sales manager, let's say we'll talk with one of our sales manager here in San Francisco, they will want to hire as many SDRs as they can, as long as they bring leads. They will bring 100 SDRs, will bring five more leads because they're looking on how much they sell and they want to hit their targets. And that's the only thing that is in in front of them when you put inside the cost itself or the magic number or what we do the ratio the one to three then 
the sales manager has another responsibility. It's not just hitting those numbers. It's what's the cost I can spend in order to hit those numbers. Then sales reps are becoming more, with coming with more initiatives. They are working harder. They are not waiting for someone to do their calls or to qualify their leads. They're more hungry. So I think that's, that's one thing that we're putting a lot of emphasis. Another thing is there is no limit of how much a sales rep can, can earn. We are completely against limit the debt amount. So the better you are, the more you sell, the more you get. So they are very hungry. They're always hungry because they know the potential of tripling or quadrupling their quota. On top of it, we're using a lot of spiffs. I think that spiff is a very good tool to aim your sales reps towards the company goals. So if we want multi-year deals, if we want higher ACV deals, etc., then we decide that we're spiffing on that. So that's that's the incentive we're giving to salespeople. On the operation side, I think that every organization, every SaaS company should be very, very, very data-oriented. Very data-oriented. They need to know exactly how much time it takes to close a deal the ratio of qualified leads, how many rejects they have, what what is a good sales cycle, what is a bad sales cycle, and monitor, we're working with Salesforce, but monitor everything in Salesforce. Then you can see who are the really good AEs that produce and are very, very productive and who are not. And then you can always improve your organization. On top of it, if you measure every stage in the sales cycle, then you can understand what are the strengths of some of those sales reps and then work with them where they have more weaknesses and then make them more successful in their job. Let's say someone is really good in negotiation, but they're not so good in the first demo. Let's work on their demo. But you can do it only if you have the data in front of you. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, it makes perfect sense. In terms of kind of the sales team in particular, I imagine one challenging aspect for a sales team in, in an approach like yours in terms of category creation is kind of approaching that element of category creation with the buyer. So how do you approach the process of category creation with Walk Me? Yeah, so me and, and my co-founder, Rafi, we're talking with a lot of analysts. Uh, we're interviewing two magazines. We're talking with a lot of thought leaders, CIOs in the industry in order to create a category. Of course, it takes time until it will happen or while it's happening. A lot of the things we're doing, we know how not to sell Walk Me as a category, more to sell you the solution to your need. So let's say you have a website and you want to increase conversion, then we will explain you how Walk Me can help you. And if you are a support director and you want to reduce your support cost and make your support more efficient, we will show you how Walk Me will help you to reduce support. In those two use cases, both line of business managers will use WalkMe in a different way, completely different use case. The support manager wouldn't understand that there is a product manager that's using WalkMe in order to increase adoption. So we are not trying to sell WalkMe as a full platform, as we call it, the digital adoption platform. We will sell the use case. Absolutely, sell the solution. It's it's uh, more tangible, I think, for the buyer. But I do want to move into a quick fire round that we call the 60-second faster. So I say a short statement, and then you give me your immediate thoughts. How does that sound? Okay, let's go. So let's do the integration of AI into enterprise software. I know it's a a particular interesting topic for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're working a lot. We think it's the future. We will get to an area when the software understands the user instead of the user understands the software. And then you acquired Jacko. What's the acquisition strategy? When does one make sense and another not? 
So in Jaco, we looked at two things. One, the technology. We started to use them internally, and we love the technology. We looked on other companies as well, and their technology was by far more superior. We really like the founders. We like the DNA that they're bringing, their culture. We saw an immediate connection between their offering and what WalkMe can bring to the customer. And yeah, we had a relationship for a few months, six, eight months, and then started talking about acquisition. And then what's the favorite SaaS reading material? You mentioned blogs like Saster earlier. What are your must-reads when they come out? One is Saster. I love it. I do follow other entrepreneurs and see what they, they are writing, mostly on, on my LinkedIn. Who's your favorite? I like Aaron Levy from Box. I read what you and I'm following on Twitter as well, which is very, very interesting. We do have some forums in Israel. So you have companies like SimilarWeb that we talk a lot, even with their CFOs, we're sharing some knowledge and information. But most of the knowledge I think I'm getting from my VCs and their portfolio companies. So if I'm taking scale, for example, so Rory is wonderful, lots of connections, lots of forums. They even have a community when the entrepreneurs can talk with each other. So if you have a question, you don't know something, you can post a question and then all the portfolio company answers you. For example, I had a, an interesting question at the beginning of the year. What's the benchmark for recruiting an employee? How much a company pays, a SaaS company pays in San Francisco to recruit one employee? I didn't know if it's good or bad because my talent team want to expand and want to double their budget. Does it make sense? How much should we pay for an employee? So where you find it? And, and that's only inside the community. And when we posted the question, then we started to get a lot of answers from different companies, different sizes, depends what you hire. And then you know exactly if you're, if you're good, if you're bad, where, where you should uh, aim. Uh, and, and that's wonderful because as a CEO, I had no idea if to pay 6K per employee is good or bad or what? to pay 10K is good or bad. What was the answer? So the answer was a range. I think that the range was between 5 to 10K per employee. And then let's yeah. finishing the quick fire round. What do you know now that you wish you'd known at the beginning of WalkMe when you were kind of coding out the initial version? I think I always say to my uh, dev team, I wish we, I would knew that we will be that successful because at the beginning, you do a lot of shortcuts and every shortcut, you're basically taking a small debt. And you do it because you don't know how big it will be and you do uh, the those, those those shortcuts many many times because you you living the moment and the, at least at the beginning when we raised the first million and then five million we basically lived from round to round and now of course it's not the it's not the stage the company is very big we're almost 500 employees so I think if I would knew how big it will be I would create different infrastructures etc that now would help us even grow faster no I agree I agree myself with the podcast uh, you you cheat in the early days to do short and then they haunt you later on. Uh, but I want to finish today, and this is moving out of the quick fire, so don't worry about 60 seconds, uh, on one of my favorite topics, and slightly reverting back to the element of retention there, uh, and it's customer success. So I think one interesting element for me is, what's the KPI for measuring customer success for you? Yeah, that's interesting. I think we're doing something a bit different. A lot of companies looking and renewal rate, we look 
something and something that we call the result sign-off. Each customer success in WalkMe manage between 30 to 35 customers, which is between 1 to 1.5 million. They need to make sure that each one of their customers seeing value using WalkMe. If WalkMe customer paying X, the ROI should be 5X. And they need to make sure that the customer gets the value from WalkMe. If the customer loves them, that's a plus. If the customer renew, of course, that's, that's the ultimate goal. But in the early days, customer renewed even without a proven ROI. They like the product. It seems cool. They love the, the, the service that they get. They renewed. I don't like it. They need to renew because of data. They need to renew because they see value in WalkMe. Then the rest is, is easy. Relationship is easy. Services is easy. All those stuff are something that are easy to build. I think actually care about the customer and caring about them seeing value from the product that they're spending money on that's the number I number one KPI for our customer success when did you look to add customer success as a core element of your team so when we when we started to sell to bigger companies enterprises currently walk me as 20% of the fortune 500 as customers and of course other big names when we started to work with those companies we understood that the level of service is that we need to provide to those companies is much bigger than startups that we are selling WalkMe to. And then we started to add the customer success because it's not just the services, it's more the relationship. There is a lot of cross-sell, up-sell opportunities. And when they have someone from WalkMe understanding the whole scope, then if I go back to what I said, if they implementing WalkMe for the, the support team, they can easily switch and then talk with the product team and then expand WalkMe to the product team and then expand WalkMe to internal application like Salesforce or Workday, etc. So at that point, we I- decided And then finishing on a controversial question there that you mentioned in terms of the upsell, do you agree with customer success upselling customers or do you think that should remain a key element to the sales team? I think it should remain a key element to the sales team. And I will explain why. Customer success are, are the trusted advisor of the customer. They should not have any interest whatsoever to sell the customer something it doesn't need or that doesn't make any sense. When you have that segregation, then the customer success is truly, truly focused on bringing the value to the customer. And if he sees an opportunity, he can forward it to the sales to do their job. But in, in WalkMe, customer success never... Never speaking about money with a customer. Fantastic to hear. I know I'm so agreed with you in terms of the alignment and trust. But Dan, I was told it would be a fantastic episode by, by many people, including Rory and Hillel. So I'm so grateful to you for giving up the time today to come on the show. It's been such a pleasure. Yeah, me too. Thank you. And again, I want to say a huge thanks to Dan for giving up his time today to come on the show and revealing the incredible scaling journey with WalkMe. And again, a big thank you to Rory at Scale for the intro today, without which this episode would not have been possible. And if you love the show today and would like to see more from me, then you can add me on Snapchat at hstebbings with two Bs, or you can follow the main man Jason Lemkin on Twitter at JasonLK. But before we leave you today... We all 
know that trust is a key component to the success of any business, and that's where Reviews.io comes in. Reviews.io is a Google-trusted third-party review platform, and is the only platform in the world which collects, monitors, and publishes reviews to Google, Bing, Facebook, Amazon, and more. Reviews.io is the only solution on the market which allows businesses to see a 360-degree view of their reputation across the web, with their robust API that allows you to manage your reputation automatically while achieving the industry's highest review collection. Reviews.io is perfect for any business that's looking to increase conversions, build customer trust, and increase visibility on Google. Unlike competing platforms, Reviews.io do not agree with long-term contracts and even has a 15-day trial for all SASTA listeners. Simply head over to Reviews.io now and sign up for your free trial. As always, we so appreciate all your support and cannot wait to bring you Monday's episode.